0: Hey guys, Brooke here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. As always, we want to start by thanking our new patrons Shepard, Lisa Short, Hilda Marciniak, Justin Cornel, Ani, and Emily Carroll. We truly couldn't do this without you guys. Our patrons get access to our Patreon exclusive Discord. There you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. We've got bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Our different tiers get different stuff, like stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. Also, we have another Patreon movie night coming up on March 20th and 21st. If you want to join us, sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13 pod. Just look for a link in the show notes. You know, Ian, I think that this is the first time in a while that we have been in the same room to record pre-roll.
1: I know. We've been in the same room to do episodes, but not pre-roll in a long, long time.
0: There was some general stuff that made it difficult for us to be in the same room, but we're happy to be back. And we want to take a moment to tell you about a podcast called What Will Be Here. What Will Be Here is a sci-fi audio drama about living on a doomed earth and building things anyway. Five friends send a rocket into space with a collection of recordings on board, documenting the world's decline. It's a story about creating new things in the midst of a tragedy. And that's relatable as heck. Look for a link hey. to. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't think I've ever
1: heard you say heck.
0: <laughs> I say it all the
1: time. <laughs> Let's leave this in. Let's go. <laughs>
0: anyway anyway look for a link to what will be here in the show notes and stay tuned after the episode for a trailer for what will be here
1: what will be here it's gonna be awesome sorry for wrecking your promo (laughs) uh
0: the creator of what will be here is a friend of the podcast and we love everything that they do we are so excited for this show today's episode is catch your death written by Sinead Persaud you're gonna love this story It made Ian cry, so feel free to make fun of him for that on Twitter. It's okay. Um, Or feel free to join our Patreon and make fun of him to his face in the Patreon exclusive Discord. That feels a little more personal. You can find more of Sinead's work on her Literary History Comedy channel on YouTube at Shipwrecked Comedy. Look for a link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. I used to sleepwalk as a child It was 10pm on Christmas Eve And at 4 years old I was supposed to be asleep in bed Waiting for Santa Claus Instead My sleepwalking took me from my warm bed Past the Christmas tree Right into the raging snowstorm outside My mother shrieked And dropped her glass of eggnog When she saw my tiny figure Lying deathly still outside beyond the frosted pane of the living room window. She called for my dad, who scooped my blue-skinned body out of the snow, leaving a tiny snow angel impression in the accumulating icy powder on the front lawn. When I was six, the neighbors found me swaying on their porch swing at midnight, eyes glazed over with the haunting filminess of a deep, open-eyed sleep. When I was nine... I climbed out of bed and dug up our dog Zappa's grave. Mom and Dad woke to me snuggling the corpse of a month's dead animal in the backyard. Dad said that the tranquil smile plastered to my face gave him nightmares for weeks after. When I was 12, I visited my grandma's apartment complex one weekend. The gardener heard a loud splash early on Sunday morning when he stopped by to clip the hedges. He saw a figure floating in the pool and dragged my still-sleeping body out of the shallow end and pumped the water from my lungs. Dad was long gone by then, living somewhere in Utah with his new wife, and Mom's mind was just starting to go. Grandma and I made fun of her at first for misplacing her keys so often. The repeated stories induced eye rolls from us. When she started forgetting where she was, and who we were, we stopped laughing. Grandma was the one who decided something had to be done about my sleepwalking, at long last. She moved into the spare bedroom in our drafty Massachusetts colonial. Quickly, she ingratiated herself into the town, and charmed the guy at the hardware store in that way only grandmas can manage. She had him install three different locks on the inside of my bedroom door and one outside. I wore a bracelet with a bell on it at night. She even had a hypnotist from Salem come and see me for good measure. And for a while, this all worked. Until one hot June night when I woke up in the woods. Wiping the crust from my eyes, I groggily took in my surroundings. Trees encircled me in a gravelly clearing. I had no idea what time it was. I stood and dusted the damp dirt off of my oversized Life is Good t-shirt, an ironic relic from my dad. I felt suspended in the humid air. My back was sore, but that was the least of my concerns. I had no idea how to get back home. Something whizzed by my ear. It flew up over my head and joined its brethren. A firefly. Hundreds, thousands of fireflies. They formed a thick blanket of glowing light above me. The hazy illumination of the sputtering light given off by the fireflies cast moving shadows over every inch of the clearing. I crept over to one of the towering firs and tried to make out any houses in the distance, and I felt a sharp pain on the bottom of my foot. A shard of glass was wedged between two of my toes. Blood seeped out around it. I wiggled the glass out and pressed down firmly to stop the trickle. Below me, scattered around my feet, was a graveyard of mason jars, some intact and some reduced to mere shards by the elements. What was this place? A nub stuck out of a nearby tree trunk. I stepped onto it with my good foot and grabbed onto the lowest branch still swimming in a fog of half sleep i grabbed a mason jar and hoisted myself onto the branch and i climbed up towards the sky towards the swarm of phosphorescence that created a sort of living ozone layer the cut on my foot left a thin trail of blood down the length of the tree trunk i breached the concentrated layer of wings and antenna The bugs tickled my bare skin. Edging out onto a branch sturdy enough to take my weight, I swirled the metal lid off the jar and held it out into the glowing mass before me. A curious firefly buzzed right into my trap. I shut the lid quickly and brought the jar close to my face, inspecting the pulsating, flickering abdomen. The strangest thing happened. It whispered something, its voice tickling the tiny hairs in my ear. A high-pitched, childlike voice filled my head, creating an itch deep in my skull that I couldn't scratch. I couldn't quite hear what it was saying. I focused on the captive creature in the jar, hypnotized. I opened the lid and drew the rim close. What it said sent a wave of nausea radiating through my body. My shoulders seized with chills and I released my grip on the jar, sending it tumbling to the dirt below where it cracked cleanly in half. My erstwhile hostage flitted free and rejoined the heaving swarm, shivering despite the heat. I shimmied down the tree and tiptoed over the glass shards. Not caring which way was home, I picked a direction, and I ran. I didn't stop until I reached a main road. The life-is-good tea clung to me as I leaned over into the street and vomited up nothing. The firefly spoke to me. It said terrible things. Things I'd never forget. It told me about a horrible, bone-crunching death that would leave those who cared about me reeling for the rest of their lives. It told me how I was going to die. Dawn broke through the cloudy, muggy night. I found my way home eventually, the back door still wide open from my escape. Had Grandma forgotten to lock my door last night? It was 6am, I got ready for school, scrubbing the dirt from my knees in the shower. It all came off in a black goop that clogged the drain momentarily before bubbling up and then retreating into the pipe like a swamp creature. When I arrived at the gates of Marblehead High, I'd forgotten how exactly I'd gotten there. I looked down at my hands, white-knuckling the handles of my bike. That's when I heard a familiar voice.
1: You okay, Chief?
0: I turned so fast I pinched a nerve in my neck. Dominique Atherton, a junior, sat cross-legged on the school stairs, her sketchbook spread out on her lap. Shaggy black hair fell over one eye like a very cool cartoon character. I winced and started to lock my bike up at the rack. It was a weird night, I told her, trying to smile through the sharp pain. Those are the best kind of nights. She kind of wiggled her eyebrows as she said it. Then she shut her notebook and slid her charcoal pencil behind her ear. My cheeks flushed as she winked at me and headed through the giant metal doors. She'd never acknowledged my existence before. For a moment, I wanted to run after her and tell her about the place in the woods. I didn't. And for the next year, I tried not to think about it at all. The year passed. I didn't die, as the Firefly predicted. Although, being a sophomore in high school is a kind of living death. Mom's condition got worse, and Grandma got a job at the local tailor shop to help pay the mortgage. I became the editor-in-chief of the school literary magazine. Not quite the feat you might imagine, as there were only three of us in contention for the position. The committee consisted of myself, Michael Tempe and Jules Harrigan. Michael was an average student trying to fill in a gap on his resume. Jules was an extremely popular senior who helped persuade the more socially inclined students to submit their work. She barely came to meetings anymore. I was a whiz with Photoshop and really enjoyed arranging words on a page with a resonant image. It was during a particularly dull magazine meeting that Dominique walked in. Since our encounter at the bike rack a year ago, I'd only heard her name a handful of times. For instance, Lisa Akron from gym class told anyone who would listen that she saw Dominique tagging the side of the local deli with satanic imagery. I went to check, but it had been painted over. I didn't really know much about Dominique, only that my stomach turned over when I saw her. Her hair still hung roguishly over one eye, and her heavy Doc Martens made a thudding sound on the tiled floor with each step. Her thick, dark eyebrows told the entire story. That story was, I don't want to be here. Is this yearbook? I nodded. Michael, one of the other two on the committee, grumbled. Sure, roll in when the year's almost done, why don't ya?
1: Sorry. They told me if I came here, the extra credit would bump my C to a B minus.
0: Michael snipped something else under his breath. I realized I hadn't said anything yet. Thanks for joining us, Dominique. Why don't you help Michael by reading through the poetry? It's just Dom. She said this over her shoulder as she threw her backpack into a chair. She may not have wanted to be there, but with Dom's help, the work got done a heck of a lot faster. At the end of the hour, I logged off the computer. Michael took this as his cue to pack up, too. He tidied the stacks of morose teenage poetry and slung his backpack over his shoulder. Dom followed suit. Anyone want to smoke up out back? I'd heard that some kids went into the woods behind the school to smoke or drink or whatever. I'd never been invited, and I wasn't really one to seek that out on my own. When she asked, I responded way too enthusiastically. Sounds great. I'd love to. Michael looked at me like I'd become a Muppet. He hesitated and stuttered. Come on, I smiled, punching him lightly on the shoulder. It'll be literary magazine bonding. Mom barely knew whether I was in the house or not, and Grandma would be delighted to learn that I was socializing. Soon, the three of us were on the school track, heading back towards the woods. Dom lit up a joint as we walked. She took an expert inhale and held it in before handing the papery nub to me. I tried to emulate the way she held it, pinched between forefinger and thumb. I sucked on the end, thinking about how only moments ago it had been between Dom's lips. I didn't dare inhale and make a fool of myself. I passed it quickly to Michael, who clearly didn't know not to inhale, His coughing made Dom laugh, so I joined in. He shot back at me. What, like you've done this before? He knew I was as straight-edge as they come. As we strolled deeper into the woods, I tried to make conversation.
1: I asked Dom where her house was. Kelvin Street. It's south behind the pond. It's only us and two other houses over there. Really run down. My uncle inherited the place from my grandma, He's an asshole.
0: I knew the pond. Kids used to ice skate there in the winter, until a few years ago, when a four-year-old girl fell through the ice. I asked what her uncle does for a living.
1: He's a mechanic. He can fix cars all day, but he won't fix the fucking roof that's falling down over our heads. There's this tree outside that's going to fall and smash up the chimney any day now. Won't do a thing about it. Piece of shit.
0: Dom took the joint back from Michael and took another hit. She asked if I wanted any more, and I shook my head. She extinguished it and sat down on a nearby rock, reaching into her bag for a metal tin. She put the half-joint inside, and I saw her drug paraphernalia roll about inside the small container. A burst of light caught my eye just behind Dom's head. A firefly flitted about before delicately landing on her shoulder. She didn't notice. So pretty, I whispered at it. Dom looked up at me. The, uh, firefly, I pointed, flustered. Dom looked at her shoulder and, to my delight, did not flick the insect off. Another landed right next to it. This is going to sound weird, but I want to try and find something. If you guys want, you can follow me. Dom got up from the rock and brushed off the marijuana debris from her black jeans. Michael didn't move at first, but when I asked directly if he was coming, he got up. I just have to be home by six or my parents will ground me, he said. I led the way. My confidence wavered after 15 minutes or so of walking. Had the mystical place of my memory been just a side effect of my sleepwalking? Surely no. I remembered the dirt on my PJs. The feeling of being so high in the air. The horrible warning whispered to me. You gonna murder us or what? I'm sure it's around here. I recognize these trees. Michael spoke up. They literally all look the same. We're in a New England forest. This way, I said. A gleam of gold peeked out at me in the distance, and I knew we'd been headed the right way. Sure enough, yards away, the trees gave way, revealing the clearing I'd found one year ago. I pointed upwards, and my cohort's gazes drew towards the sky, to the swirling army of lightning bugs forming a massive cyclone above us, a kaleidoscope of glowing yellow, Holy shit. Dom actually sounded impressed. Michael's Coke bottle glasses exacerbated his wide eyes. Michael backed up against a tree. What is this place? Some kind of nest? Do they bite? I dropped my backpack and started to climb. I knew Dom would follow, and I didn't care if Michael did. I pointed to the shards of mason jars strewn by the trees. Watch out for the glass. This time, I was wearing shoes, making the climb much easier. I crested the thick layer of insects and scooted down the branch, my legs dangling off of it. Dom's spiky hair cropped up through the branches, and she let out a guttural laugh upon seeing the swarm up close. What the fuck is happening? I shrugged, attempting to impress her with my nonchalance. I found this place while I was sleepwalking. To my surprise, a winded Michael was moments behind her. His face beat red. Dom edged further down the branch to make room for him. The sudden weight made the branch dip down, and I gasped. Dom caught my arm and steadied me. My insides fluttered as though I'd taken in a mouthful of the bugs. Dom reached out with her free hand, and a lightning bug landed on her pointer finger. I heard the telltale hushed whispers, and felt the color drain from my face. She held the firefly closer to her ear. She heard it too. I watched her face fall, her brow furrow. The branches cast an ominous shadow on her face, and she suddenly seemed much older than seventeen. Her eyes met mine. What the hell? Why did I think that this was a good idea? (laughs) You're batshit. Dom chuckled and shooed away the bug. She tossed the jar behind her. The sound of it smashing came seconds later. Michael was next. He caught a bug in his empty soup thermos and held it to his ear. What did it say? I asked. Michael looked confused. Asleep, he said. I didn't know what to say. He shrugged. We stayed up there listening to the whispers for a while. Some messages weren't disturbing at all. They simply foretold of peaceful passings, surrounded by family and friends. Some simply whispered random words. Others said things that I knew would keep me up at night, contemplating my own mortality. Dusk descended on us, giving the glade a menacing aura. The mass of flying insects seemed less whimsical. Michael's curfew was approaching. We climbed down the tree and made our way out of the woods. I saw Michael peek into his thermos as he turned onto Clayton Street toward his house his face illuminated by what was inside. Did you take one? I asked, surprised by how panicked I sounded. He looked up. Yeah, I used to catch them all the time when I was little. I nodded. Okay, then. That night, as expected, sleep evaded me. My gut was uneasy with the thought that perhaps we weren't meant to see that clearing in the woods, and we undoubtedly weren't meant to tamper with it. My feelings of disquiet worsened when Michael didn't show up for Literary Magazine the next day. I was happy to have the hour alone with Dom, sifting through student essays and teaching her what I knew of Photoshop. She even drew a beautiful calligraphy title page for the cover and I convinced myself that Michael was just ditching. When I got home, my mother was pacing the kitchen. A distraught look had replaced the serene, blissfully ignorant one she usually wore. As I put my backpack down on the chair, she said two words. He's dead. She often said peculiar things these days, so I didn't think much of it. I reached into the fridge for a string cheese and offered her one. She spoke again, Claudia, the boy, he died. I turned to look at my mother, her eyes glassy with distress. I dropped my string cheese. The next day at school, an announcement was made. Michael had been found dead in his bedroom, an undiagnosed heart condition. The administration brought in a grief counselor. Students mourned and spoke kind words about him, even though I doubted that most people even knew who he was. That afternoon, I stared at Michael's usual seat in the literary magazine classroom until Ms. Sharma stopped by to see if I was doing all right. As she left, Dom strode in with her usual swagger. Fucking crazy about Michael. She said it without fanfare, taking her sketchbook out of her bag and starting to draw. Yeah, I said quietly. Do you think it was because he took that lightning bug? Dom looked serious for a moment before bursting out laughing. I realized how stupid and childish I sounded. "'but I asked anyway. "'You
1: don't think that's what happened? "'I think he probably had a brain aneurysm and died. "'Same thing happened to my cousin.' "'I figured that
0: was the end of it, "'until Dom turned to me "'as we headed our separate ways that afternoon. "'She called out to me. "'Hey, want to test your theory?' "'She wanted to test my idea "'about the fireflies killing Michael.' There's only one way to see if they really are harbingers of death, she said. The plan was to meet at her place at seven. I nodded, despite my apprehension. As she left, she reached up and scratched her arm. With her shirt sleeve pushed up, I noticed the blue gray day old bruises on her skin. I stopped by Michael's parents' house with a bouquet of flowers after I finished my homework that evening. His mother cried and told me that Michael always spoke so highly of me, I wasn't sure if I believed that. I got up the courage to ask a question. Michael didn't have a firefly in his room, did he? She looked at me, a bit confused. There was, actually. I saw it yesterday morning, right before... She didn't finish her sentence... Instead, she broke into a fit of tears and fell on her husband's shoulder. I excused myself. That night, I coated my ankles with citronella mist and yanked on my hiking boots. As I raced through the kitchen, my grandma spoke up. "'Going somewhere?' "'A friend's house,' I said. My mom perked up. "'Oh, Stacy's house?' My elementary school friend Stacy who moved to Texas when I was 12. Yep, Stacy's house, I said, deciding now wasn't the time to remind her of that. With that, I was out the door. Dom's house was a 15-minute bike ride through the thick wooded area of town. The air was still and muggy when I leaned my bike up against the towering elm outside her uncle's dilapidated house. The elm teetered in the barely-there wind and threatened to topple over, just as she'd said. I knocked on the door, taking in the piles of automobile scrap metal and engine parts on the lawn. If you could call it a lawn. Overgrown patchy grass and a once-ornate stone fountain gave the yard an ominous vibe. Dom came to the door wearing a leather jacket over a red crop top. Are we going clubbing or into the woods? I giggled. Feeling awkward in my tube socks and khakis. Just you wait. Is your uncle home? I asked, peering behind her into the dank, messy house. She said he was at the bar and that he'd be there until who knows when. Dom locked the door behind her and sat down on the jagged wooden porch steps. I sat for a confused moment before I asked what we were waiting for. As if on cue, she nodded down the drive. We're waiting for him. A tan Corolla's
1: headlights flashed into view, and the car rolled up the driveway. I've been talking to this guy online. He's a perv. Perfect person to test your theory on. Dom's eyes narrowed like a wildcat's as the man got
0: out of his car. I spoke up before he was close enough to hear us. This isn't a good idea. He could hurt us. Dom whipped her leather jacket open, and I glimpsed a bottle of pepper spray. Two fit girls on one horny old guy? The man squinted at Dom
1: lecherously. Heather, he asked. Hey, Buster. I hope you don't mind that I brought a friend to our meetup. She put on a voice I had
0: never heard her use. It was high-pitched and flirty. He looked me up and down. Not at all, he said. What's your name, little miss? I was frozen, unable to formulate
1: thoughts or words. That's my friend Lisa. Now listen, my uncle will be home soon, so I thought we could take a little walk. Get to know one another somewhere private. Dom slunk
0: closer to the man. His brown suit suggested a car salesman or CPA. His hair was thinning on top, and the sweat at his temples made my lunch rise up in my esophagus. He grinned, showing off his yellow teeth. Lead the way. Dom looked at me with an expectant smile, so I took a deep breath and led them back to the place in the forest. The whole way, the man named Buster tried to get handsy with Dom, She took it in stride, as though this was something she did all the time. When we finally arrived in the mystical clearing, I was numb with fear. Here we were, deep in the woods, with no cell service and a man who didn't care that he was keeping the company of teenagers. Dom pirouetted around the
1: clearing. Isn't this place a trip? I thought you'd like it. You're always talking about how you love nature. Buster looked up at the
0: fireflies, and his eyes reflected their glow. He looked demonic.
1: Let's go get one. She grabbed the sleeve of his jacket like a child. To commemorate our first night together.
0: He would have done anything for her after that suggestive lip bite. I wasn't able to hide my disgust. They climbed the tree together... It took forever, as he was clearly not dressed for this madcap occasion. I waited down below, arms crossed and fuming. They came back down with a jar full of fireflies. Did they say anything to you? I asked Buster. He was sweating and laughed it off. Sick stuff, kid. You don't even want to know. We followed Dom back to her uncle's house. I wondered what her plan was. No way was I going in the house with this man, and I certainly wasn't getting in his car. I covertly picked up a sharp stick and slipped it into my sleeve just in case. He shook the mason jar. The light from the fireflies pulsated violently. You girls drug me or something? Why am I hearing bugs talking? He laughed again. We didn't drug you, but I did steal your wallet. Dom pulled his wallet out of her pocket and shook it in his face. He lunged at her, attempting to grab it. He dropped the mason jar, but it didn't break. Dom pulled the pepper spray from her jacket, her finger ready at the trigger. Bitch, Buster grumbled, no longer jovial and friendly.
1: All right, Buster, here's what's going to happen. I'm taking all the cash in your wallet in exchange for not telling the cops that you met up with two teenagers. I got all your information now, too, so I wouldn't come crawling around here again. Sound good? She smiled confidently before reaching down to pick up the mason jar.
0: He didn't speak or break eye contact with Dom as he wrenched open his car door and got in. Dom strutted up to the window and threw the jar in his back seat. Oh, <laughs> and don't forget this. Buster revved his engine and in seconds he was gone, tearing out of the driveway and into the night. Dom walked back over to me and handed me a crumpled wad of bills. Looks like a hundred
1: each. Not bad for a day's work. She was grinning. You do this often? How do you think I afford Doc Martens?
0: And she spun around, modeling her heavy leather boots. I need to get back, I said, without meeting her gaze. I rode home on my bike so fast that my calves were aching by the time I made it to my bedroom. I buried myself under the covers, and miraculously, I fell asleep. The next day, I told my grandma I was too sick to go to school. She made me her famous minestrone soup and let me watch TV all day. I flipped through the channels aimlessly into the evening. The local news had a segment on the swans in the Boston Commons. I remembered visiting the commons with my mom and dad when I was little. I tried to pet the swans and my dad had to hold me back. Then the segment cut away to breaking news. An accident on Elm Street. A bus lost control of the brakes and smashed into a car, pinning it against a tree. A tan Toyota Corolla. I raced out of the house in my pajamas and hopped on my bike, hightailing it to Dom's house as dusk fell. I dropped the bike on the lawn and raced up the porch steps to knock on the door. Her uncle opened it in a greasy Henley in jeans, beer in hand. He looked every bit the sinister, abusive piece of shit I'd imagined. Dom came to my rescue, coming up behind him. She looked different. In her uncle's presence, she seemed to shrink. Uh, hey Claudia, this is my Uncle Cam. Her uncle spoke up. Didn't know you had friends. He had a slimy smile, and his breath was sour with beer. I kept my voice chipper and casual. Just stopped by to talk to Dom about the literary magazine.
1: Uh, actually, Claudia and I were going to go check out this place in the woods. It's crazy. We might go to the local news with pictures and see if they'd pay us to do a story on it. What? I'd come here to tell Dom what
0: happened to the man from last night, not to return once again to that wicked place. Uncle Cam gave her a look. I guess as the adult in the house, I should come along and get my fair share of the profits, huh? Plus... I could use a nice walk. He grinned at me and patted his stomach. I'm not sure it's that exciting, I said. He took a dirty towel from his pocket and wiped his hands. A simple action that he managed to make look menacing. You saying Dom's a liar? I corrected myself. No, no. Let's go. It's best right at dusk. Dom let out the breath she'd been holding in. She pulled on her black denim jacket. The enamel pins on the lapels clinked together as she did. I led them into the woods and made my way as best as I could back to the clearing. Cam remained a few paces behind. He'd brought his beer on the road and tied a flannel around his waist. I wondered if he knew what a caricature he was. When we were far enough ahead of him, I was able to speak up.
1: What the hell, Dom? Chill out. If you're right about this place, I won't have to deal with him anymore. If you're wrong, well, maybe we could actually make some money. I bet National Geographic would shit themselves over this place. The man from last night is dead. I saw it on the news.
0: Dom looked down at the dirt path. She said she'd seen it, too. From behind us, her uncle yelled, asking how much further. Tears welled in my eyes. I wasn't going to be able to find it. I thought of the bruises on Dom's arm. What would he do if he thought we were just jerking him around? But then, there it was. A faint glow in the distance. Relief washed over me. I pointed to it and shouted that it was this way. When I did, Cam shoved me aside, making a beeline towards the light. We caught up to him right as he'd looked up and taken in the firefly nest for himself. The light reflected in his dark, bloodshot eyes, and he looked like a demon. He said something incoherent about the news channels getting out here to see it. I pointed to the ground. Watch out, there's a lot of glass around here. He ignored me, his heavy boots crunching on glass as he stomped into the clearing. Why don't you show him the best part? Dom looked at me, and then to the swarming mass of glowing bugs. I knew what she meant. I sighed and picked up an intact jar from the base of the tree and climbed up the way I had before. At the top, I opened the jar and in flew a firefly. It whispered maliciously, and I clamped the lid down. I didn't want to hear what vile thing it had to say. I scrambled down the tree, one arm clutching the jar. Dom's uncle waited for me at the base, arms crossed. I handed him the jar. He took it and shook it violently. What am I supposed to do with this, he asked. You open it and listen to it, I said. And he did. "'slimy, childlike whisper emanated from the tiny, glimmering bug. "'He looked up at me, eyes bloodshot and wide. "'Is this some sort of prank?' he snarled. "'It's not a prank. Go try it yourself.' "'I let my firefly go. "'It flew up in a circular motion until it became a part of the mob again. "'You want me to go up a tree and listen to a jar of bugs?' he said." You're lucky I'm in a good mood. He snatched the jar from me and started up the tree clumsily. I couldn't even look at Dom. The only sound was the gentle hum of the firefly canopy above us. A few minutes later, Uncle Cam descended, jar full of fireflies. What the hell's in the air up there? He shouted, giddy. Do you two hear this stuff? Blood and guts and shit? One of these things said I'd end up maggot food. I swear I've gone crazy. He didn't look upset by what he'd heard. In fact, he looked like a man who'd won the lottery. Uncle Cam led the way back to his ramshackle house with us silently in tow. The small jar he'd kept as proof illuminated the way. That's when the thunderstorm started. We waited on the narrow edge of the main road as headlights passed us by in the dusk light. Dom bit her ragged nails and stared straight ahead as the rain soaked into her jacket. So, what are you going to do when you graduate? I asked, trying to break up the quiet that was only punctuated by the pitter patter of rain and a clap of faraway thunder. She didn't get to answer before Uncle Cam yelled for us to keep up. He darted toward the other side of the street and didn't see as a car without headlights sped right towards it. Dom screamed, covering her face with her hands. The car skidded into a puddle. Water spurted up in a wave, splashing mud onto my clothes and drenching Dom. It swerved around Dom's uncle and he shouted curse words as it sped away. Tensions were high when we finally reached the house. The rain was falling so hard now that it felt like knives on the back of my neck. I didn't expect Uncle Cam to offer me a ride home, so I strode directly to my bike and turned to watch him violently thrust his key in the door and shove it open without a look back. See you tomorrow, sophomore. She said it in her droll way, as though this had all been a perfectly normal night. "'Hey,' I called out, kicking the stand-up from my bicycle. "'She turned to me, the rain making her usually edgy, jagged haircut look like a silly mop-top. "'I think that place is bad news. You should let those fireflies go.' "'I shouted it above the noise of the rising storm.
1: "'You didn't have anything to do with Michael's death, Claudia. "'As much as I wish those things would kill Cam, it's not gonna happen.' He's a cockroach. He'll outlive us all.
0: Cold and wet and scared. I just wanted to be back in my house with a cup of my grandma's tea. I mounted my bike and prepared for the soggy ride home. And just then, a shock of lightning sent me reeling back. My bike fell on top of me, bruising my leg. The sound was like TV static, turned up to an ungodly decibel, and the dangerous scent of burning wood filled my nostrils. I got to my feet, ears ringing. The elm tree swayed precariously, before falling slowly, almost gracefully, onto the tiny house, a knife cutting a cake in two pieces. Shards of wood splintered up into the air, And I shielded my eyes in fear and disbelief. Dom lay feet from the wreckage, having been bowled over by the impact from the lightning. She propped herself up onto her elbows, her eyes cloudy and dazed. I raced over to help her up. She shouted something at me, but the ringing in my ears only got louder. We ran up to what was left of the porch. Dom took off her jacket and wrapped it awkwardly around her fist before punching in the glass window. He peered in, although I wish I hadn't. Only the top half of Uncle Cam was visible. His neck was gouged by a dagger of charred tree bark. The bottom half of him was mangled underneath the bulk of the fallen trunk. His wide eyes stared directly at us and his right arm was twisted into what looked like a macabre wave. He blinked, and I realized with horror that he was still alive. Mere inches from his hand lay the mason jar, its lid still securely on. I gagged as blood streamed from the wound in his neck, mixing with the rain that seeped in from the caved-in roof. He moved his lips, mouthing the word help, but nothing came out. Dom didn't move. She just stared right back at him, watching the last moments of his life with an expressionless face. The glass jar cracked open. The fireflies pulsated around Uncle Cam's corpse before whistling past us at the window and retreating into the night. Dom slept at my house that night, curled up in a ball in another one of my dad's old teas. Grandma had given her a mug of sleepy time tea, and she conked out hard. Mom stayed in her room, uncomfortable with an unfamiliar presence in the house. Before I took my water glass to my own room that night, I watched the ragged rise and fall of Dom's chest, wondering what she would dream about i disassociated from my body a little too much to enjoy the fact that here she was, asleep under my roof, like I'd captured her, a firefly in a jar. The next day, she woke up and ate the last of my cinnamon toast crunch. Grandma got our sopping wet clothes from the night before out of the dryer. The police came to escort Dom back to the wreckage of her uncle's home and to clear out any salvageable belongings. Then, she was sent away to spend the summer with a foster family before heading to community college. I never saw her again. I don't think there was a funeral for Uncle Cam. There was no proof that the clearing in the woods with the fantastical throng of glowing insects had anything to do with Michael's heart giving out. Or the car crash or Dom's uncle being split in two by a neglected tree. But I knew. I went back to that place in the woods one last time, years later. Mom was in pain, in and out of the hospital until Grandma decided that they couldn't do anything else for her. I came home during my senior semester spring break, and we gussied up her bedroom hung baby blue gossamer curtains, and lit jasmine-scented candles. Dusk fell softly that Friday night. I helped Mom get her shoes on, and I told her we'd take a stroll through the woods and get some air. We made it all the way to the clearing in the forest without getting lost once. She clutched my arm the entire way. Her beautiful, gaunt face took in the wonder above. She smiled and deep lines appeared at the creases of her eyes. They looked like tiny rivers on an antique map. And there they were, fireflies, flitting above like a galaxy amidst the trees. Wait here, I said, and she plopped down, childlike, onto the damp grass. I grabbed a jar. My muscles remembered the exact climb up the tree where to place my feet so as not to come tumbling down. A firefly flew happily into my trap, and I scrambled to the ground and held it out for my mom. She opened the jar and listened to the whisper of the firefly. Her face contorted with confusion. I snatched the jar back and set that firefly free. We did this for the better part of an hour, Me shimmying up and down the tree and letting her hear what the bugs had to say. I waited for some sort of reaction. And then, eyes still closed, she nodded. Tears stung my eyes. I tightened the lid on the jar and handed it back to her. We walked home and she went to bed firefly buzzing in the jar on her bedside table. Three days later, she died. A peaceful smile on her face. The jar was tipped over, and the firefly was gone. That winter, Grandma and I had our first Christmas together without her. We sat down for the lavish Christmas dinner we'd spent the whole day making and realized that we'd forgotten the eggnog. It's okay. We can have dinner without eggnog. Grandma laughed as I got up from the table and shrugged into my coat. No. It was Mom's tradition. Eggnog with Christmas dinner. Grandma got up from the table and took a long scarf from the coat rack. She wrapped the scarf around my neck twice and tucked the ends into my jacket. Goodness, it's cold. You'll catch your death out there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's story was Catch Your Death. It was written by Sinead Purceau, Narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. Dominique was L. Woolry. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Caleb Ritchie. With assistance from Ian Epperson and Bridget Howard. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Paul Doyle, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Jack Chaddock, Temple Ruff, and Emily Carroll. Thank you so much for your support. There is probably not a cooler group of people in the world. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading merch bloopers behind the scenes content and weekly updates on the show we're on social media facebook twitter and instagram at sun version of 13 pod or pod 13 just look for the logo we'll have links in the show notes if you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or contact us about anything else get in touch at info at 13podcast.com you can find that in the show notes too Stay tuned for a trailer from What Will Be Here. Bridget Howard knows a cool spot in the forest. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.
1: I'm working on a little time capsule project to send a message to the future. And these recordings are a part of it. This recorder, our payload, and there's a whole group of us working on it.
0: Half of the things I want to build won't work anyway. And the end of the world isn't going to stop me from trying. There's always a danger to building
1: something like this. A miscalculation, a wrong decimal, (laughs) hell, even a drop of fuel too little and this whole thing could go sideways. So it's not like you have to be a rocket scientist to build a rocket... Um, never mind. The Earth is fucked. It's broken, and it's awful, and it's tearing itself apart. And there's nothing any of us can do to stop
0: it. What Will Be Here is a sci-fi audio drama about living on a doomed Earth and building things anyway. Find out more about the show at whatwillbehere.crd.co And subscribe on your
1: podcatcher of choice today.